0: co-founder of our anti-trafficking organization, Beauty for Freedom, and host of Breaking Distance, our podcast with the mission of connecting communities while igniting change. And today I'm so excited because we're featuring two amazing people that I've had the honor and pleasure of meeting through my petition work at change.org, Associate Director of the Racial Justice Fund at change.org, Rashawn Davis, and Senior Campaigner at change.org, Christina Martin. Welcome, welcome, Rashawn and Christina. You're both such an inspiration. I know I haven't done your your bios justice. I mean, how can you really describe somebody with a title? Um, I'd love for you both to kind of elaborate on your personal mission and life's work and maybe giving a bit of context uh, or background to how you made it to your current positions at change.org.
1: Sure, Monica, it's so great to be able to be on this call with you. Thank you so much for having us. Um, Yeah, like you said, my name is Christina Martin and I'm a senior campaigner. Um, I'm currently based out of San Francisco, California. I've been working at change.org for I actually exactly the same amount of time that Rashawn has. We both were hired two years ago and uh, I've, I've loved everything that I've done so far. Everyone says that they want to do a job that they can make a difference at. And I'm honestly just so lucky to be at a job where I can actually feel that I am making at least a small difference with my work with my petition starters. I found change.org in like a very roundabout way when I was in college But I started working on their change politics program for a year that really wanted to bolster a social network of voters and the candidates and provide just a layer of transparency back in that 2016 election that we all remember. And that really gave me a taste of what the company was about and the culture. And from then, I was just dead set on coming back to work for them. I graduated college in 2018, and there were no positions available, so I went to Spain for a year to teach English um, because Spanish was one of the majors that I did in college, and a year later, a job was posted on Change.org looking for an associate campaigner, and I just jumped on that opportunity as fast as I could, and I've been here ever since, all the way through the pandemic and all of the twists and turns that it's
0: had. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I love to see young folks. I say young folks because I'm a lot older than y'all. Uh, I just feel so lazy in life when I see people like y'all. Because <laughs> I'm like, y'all are like doing it, you know? Well, we what done? <laughs>
2: Yeah, so uh, thank you, Monica, for having both of us on today. Really excited to be here. I'm Rashawn, associate director of our Racial Justice Fund here at Change. I haven't really given much thought to like my path here. It's like it's funny because you look at life in retrospect, like how things sort of line up, but you don't see it while it's actually happening. And I think for me, when I was younger, um, I heard someone say it at one point that it's always about purpose before position. And I think that's something that has always resonated with me. Whenever I'm approaching the next chapter in life, it's always about what is the kind of person I wanna be? What's the sort of work I wanna be doing? And those are the questions that I try to answer first before you know, I actually figure out where it is I'm gonna end up. It started for me, and Christina knows this story, when a few of my friends from high school and college said they wanted to make a difference in, in our hometown of North New Jersey. And I decided to run for office here. And we started a city council campaign with, you know, four 19-year-olds and uh, very little money. And it it grew into a huge campaign with lots of money. And um, we really engaged a lot of young people in the process. And so that led to community organizing work in Newark as well. That led to um, some of the policing work that we've done, and, and that's also led to Uh, me being here at Change. And so it really has been in a lot of ways a domino effect. But I think the sort of connecting thread through it all is about finding what your purpose is.
0: I love that. I mean, one thing that I guess I kind of left out from the intro was really explaining what Change.org is and what y'all do there. So I mean, I'd love for both of y'all to kind of like chime in on the the work that change.org has done. I know personally, um I've never started a petition before I was working with my mom and dad on a voter suppression, stopping voter suppression petition and that's how I ended up meeting Christina, but I've always loved the platform, but there might be a lot of people out there don't that don't really know what y'all do at change.org. So can you kind of give us a little bit of a perspective there?
1: Yeah, so Change.org is a fully online platform that helps anyone anywhere create a petition for a change that they want to see. I know all the time I'm in the back of an Uber and they ask like, what do you do for work? And <laughs> I give the example well, if you're ever driving along and you see a highway needs an extra stoplight because it's just not safe right now, you can start a petition to make that change. So it's really from the smallest changes at a local level all of the way up to a federal, to a global level. We've seen so many global petitions now with the pandemic just being in full rage. So That's that's it. I mean, you go to change.org, you start a petition on the change that you want to see, and then you can connect with campaigners who want to help you do the same thing, whether it's through a text program through scaled support. We have so many people working to just text starters as soon as they start a petition or if it's getting contacted through email email. Become an eager starter who wants to work on your campaign and help you grow it from 100 to 50,000 signatures. Um, I do a lot of the campaign side, and Rashawn was working um, on doing that too when he first came in.
2: Yeah, I think, Christian, and you nailed it. I, I think the power of change is in its simplicity, right? Like it's a place you go to start petitions about things you care about, it's a place you go to start campaigning. It's about the areas you want to make a difference in. And so I think for most people, the power of it is just in its simplicity. Like, you know, when you go to change.org that the central piece of it is about the petition. It's about creating the change. I think the, the piece that a lot of people don't see is behind all of that. There are hundreds of people who are working um, just to make the platform better every day. Um, when we talk about making a platform where people can come to create the change they want to see, we really mean it. And and Christina will tell you this every day, folks are working on different ideas and, and experiments and all types of things to make this the best platform it can be. And that also includes our campaigners. I started as a campaigner at Change as well, who work with petition starters directly to make sure that they get the assistance they need to take their petition and their campaign to the next level. If that's it, in a nutshell, I don't want to overcomplicate it because I think, you know, there is beauty in that simplicity.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I I think that's how I kind of fell into creating a petition there is because it's so inviting to know that anyone can do it. You don't have to be tech savvy. You don't have to know lots and lots about a computer or this. You just have to be passionate about something that you want to see change in the world. Speaking on the topic of the campaigns, Christina, you've had so much personal experience working directly with everyday people and their petitions at change.org. What have been some of the most impactful campaigns that you've worked on and why, and then also kind of chime in on moments on the job that have touched your heart personally.
1: It's so hard to choose. I mean, I look at my campaign portfolio and there's just hundreds of starters who I've worked with personally, and each of them has a different story. So it's really it's really hard to choose. But looking back to when I was, I think it was four months in, I started working on a petition about 3D mammograms. So 3D mammograms are basically the standard of care for um, screening for breast cancer, but they weren't included in TRICARE, which was the military healthcare system. So a wife of a military service member started a petition asking for TRICARE to include 3D mammograms. In their coverage and it was going right alongside with a bill that was making its way through congress to do the same thing so just working jointly with her pushing for the bill but also pushing for increased signatures on the campaign so people could kind of just be more aware that this isn't something that's provided we worked for we worked for months on that petition um, and it was just so disheartening to see every single major healthcare provider was covering 3D mammograms, except for the military healthcare, which is working for the service people in the country. Just working alongside of her, eventually the bill was passed. And I just remember the email that she sent me when all was said and done with just, you could tell that she felt that she was part of the reason that that had changed. Even if it's like a person coming to say, like, I felt that I was a person who made that change. Like, That is always going to be a very impactful moment to me. That was my first, like, starter that I will always remember. And then the second wave was actually more like a trend of petitions that came through when the vaccines for covid were first being produced. There were a lot of people making petitions to have teachers prioritized to receive the covid vaccine because at first they weren't really high on the priority list even though students were still going into school, teachers were still in person and a lot of teachers fell along the more immunocompromised or just more susceptible to covid. So I think I worked with starters in 13 states to just get media coverage on their campaigns and grow those to significant numbers to get those governors to listen to them. And all of those ended up being a victory in some way, shape, or form. I got to work with my home state of Pennsylvania on that. I got to work with my current state of California on there. And just, again, seeing that the starters felt like they were making that change for their community, that was just... It's always how the starters feel that comes back to how I feel on the petitions and kind of leading into that. I mean, Monica, working with you, I remember the first call that we had, I took a screenshot of all of the women just like trying to figure out like how Zoom was and how close to their face it should be. And it's just the people who were on the ground. You were talking about like going door to door to like have people sign your petition. We got to work on making flyers and that petition grew from 100 to I think 48,000 now It's just like people like you who I get to make like the very intimate relations and connections with. I don't know. Anytime that I have a lull in work, I just think back Mm -hmm. to all of the petition starters that I've worked with and all of the ones who I will work with in the future.
0: Yeah, And I know, you know, from the other end of it, being a petition starter and seeing like how dedicated y'all are to the human being. The, the people that actually start the petition, like with my petition, it was really a group of older women who were literally between the age of like 65 and 85 that came to me and said, we really need your help. Like we need some like young blood in this thing to, to support, you know, voting rights in this part of our county, because it seems like we're being forgotten, like nobody's listening to us. And so to be able to like, make that difference. And then also to feel that y'all are like connecting with us on a personal level. It really means a lot because otherwise you kind of feel like you're in this space in this void of like, what am I doing? I feel like I'm just floating around here. Like I'm, you know, I need some advice. So I know I didn't have this question on there for you, Rashawn, but I just would also love to, to hear your thoughts on like, since you were working on petitions as well, before you went into the, uh, the racial justice fund, what were some moments for you working on campaigns that kind of touched your heart?
2: Yeah, there they're, you know, like Christina said, it's always hard to choose uh just one. I I, th- I think overall I would say like I think some of the more exciting pieces of this work is really when you get to see up close the ability of a small group of people to make a big difference, right? Like you I think a lot of times you have petition starters who have never done anything like this in their life. Like this is their first stint in activism. They've never started a petition before. They aren't professional organizers in any way. And so this is really a first time thing for them. And I think it's always uh, it's just always great to see petitions grow and to see um, the impact that one person who's determined to make a difference can have or a small group of people. And that's that's sort of my favorite part of it. I would say my favorite petition or my favorite experience, I guess, would be uh, similar to Christina. When I first started at Change, maybe four or five months in as well, I started working on an insulin campaign. And it was, um, again, a series of campaigns that argued for more affordable insulin because, as we know, um, the price of insulin is just insane in this country, right? And there are so many people, millions, who depend on it for life every day. And so we had a series of petitions, but a lot of it started with a petition started in Wisconsin who had been working on this for years before they, they even turned to a petition. And just to work with her and watch this campaign grow from a few thousand signatures to hundreds of thousands of signatures And to watch it also inspire other petition starters around the country to start similar petitions, I think was just really impactful. Yeah. So that that would be like that would be uh, one of my more memorable moments.
1: It inspired your fellow campaigners, too, because I remember you put up a map of the United States on the wall. And any time that there was a new petition started in a new state, you would cross off that state. And that was also just Fun to see you from watching on the sidelines.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a great time. I think, I think we got up to twenty-six states. We saw petitions pop up for affordable insulin in in about twenty-six states, which I think was um, just—it really was amazing. Yeah,
0: I mean, these these are like life and death issues. You know, I mean, not all the campaigns are life and death issues, but you're affecting policy and change and just a thought process and, and empowering people to feel like they can really go out there and make a difference in the world. I just, you know, I love that. I love it so much. And y'all are so young. I mean, we were kind of talking about this before. It's not like you go into activism or this type of work thinking, Oh, I'm going to be a millionaire. You know, I'm just going to make a ton of money and buy a big car and a big house and, you know, all of these things and to be as young as you are and to actually have this heart of you know I want to empower and support and change the world in a positive way the the vision that I have for the future that I want to see for the world I'm going to work hard to to make that happen like how do you make how do you make a choice to do that because i mean not for nothing, but when I was y'all's age, I really just wanted to make money. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I was like, you know, I, I wanna get out there and, you know, forge a life for myself and be successful in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, I had a lot of different side hustles when I was coming in to this job. I mean, I still do. They're all over the place. Um, so I, I think like that's always something on your mind, but it's just like, what impact do you want to leave on this world? And sure, like we're we're lucky that we get paid the salary that we do. But also like, I mean, I live in the Silicon Valley. So like you see everyone that you're surrounded by just making 5x what you are. But like what would motivate me to wake up in the morning is not working at a company like that. It's working at a company like this. So you just have to make that decision, and I think I just surrounded myself with the people when I was younger who also had the same like goals in mind as me. And I, I'm guessing Rashawn would say something similar to that. But it's it just is it's more motivating to me knowing that I'm at a job that I actually like to do, and I feel powerful doing what I can to just make a little bit of change that is there in the world. It's something that you can't, like, really buy with money.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think I think there's a happy marriage that has to happen between, like, social impact and, and, you know, making sure that folks can meet their needs. And I think that's also a narrative that has to change in the activist world. I think generally that, like, be, you know, being an organizer or being an activist shouldn't be a vow of poverty, right? Like, folks have... At the end of the day, folks have bills to pay and, and obligations, and I think, you know... We're starting to get to a place, I think, where people realize that. And, and so I, I think there's a happy marriage between the two. But I also think that time is really a finite resource, right? Like, and I think you often get people who say, well, I want to make money or I want to I do this. I just, for me personally, I never wanted to be someone who worked solely for a paycheck and then I would wake up and it's 20, 25 years later and I haven't done what I really wanted to do. The sacrifice of me waking up and enjoying what I do every day is the fact that I probably won't be a millionaire anytime soon. I think I'm all right with that.
0: Doing this work and me running my nonprofit, I, I have to have this balance of I have to be able to sort of like take care of my, meet my personal needs or my family's needs. And then I have to be able to step into that work taken care of first. Like my dad, I know it's it's a you know uh, my dad's a ex military guy, but he said he always said to us a dead soldier can't help nobody. You know what I mean? It's like you have to kind of uh, take care of yourself and meet your needs to be able to do this work and empower yourself to do this work.
2: You can't pour into anyone with an empty cup, as they say.
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, Rashawn, I, I wanted to come back to you with an explanation of what the racial justice platform is and why it was created. I think it's such an amazing opportunity to be able to support organizers and non uh, nonprofits and people in that space that are doing this work for racial justice, which is at the forefront of everything in the world, like globally today. It's It's such a everyone from every country understands what racial justice in the United States kind of like should look like, or the the moves that people are doing to make that a, a reality.
2: Yeah, absolutely, I, I think, you know, I, I think conversation about racial justice, particularly in the context of change, has been going on for years, even before Christina and I uh, started at change. But I think the summer of 2020, I think, created the circumstances where it was time to sort of do away with words, right, and turn ourselves to action. And so, you know, anyone who was watching will know that it was a hard summer and Change.org was no different. We set records for the two most signed petitions, which were justice for George Floyd and justice for Breonna Taylor, which I think got 10 million signatures and 7 million signatures respectively. So huge numbers, right? And, and it really is affirming in the sense of saying something has to be done. And so we had a lot of tough conversations internally at Change, and we asked, who are we as a company? What's our mission? How can we be a better company, not just to the users who come to our platform to create movements, but how can we be a better company to staff of color? How can we be a better company to the folks who are doing the work on the ground? And so we had what we call an organizational reset period where we just had a lot of these tough conversations and we tried to get to some sort of solution on them. And one of the commitments that came out of those conversations was the Racial Justice Fund. And the Racial Justice Fund is our $6 million commitment to supporting Black-led organizations and Black-led organizers who are doing racial justice work. And we were very specific about it being Black-led organizers and Black-led organizations, because one of the things that we know is that oftentimes when we talk about philanthropy, it's Black-led organizations who get left out, who get so much less money on average than, others, than other organizations. And we also know that it's the smaller organizations, so the organizations with two people or the organizations with one person that are also left out of the philanthropic circle. So we made those two things a priority for us, that we really wanted to support organizations that were doing grassroots work and that we wanted to be intentional and ex- explicit about supporting Black-led organizations and Black-led organizers. And so we set on a path to do that. We partnered with a community foundation called North Star Fund, which is based in New York. And we knew that we wanted this process to be fair. We knew it wanted to, we wanted it to be equitable. We knew it wanted. we wanted it to be impactful. And North Star Fund helped us design a process of selecting organizations that was all of those things. And Christina and a few others were a part of that process. And we reached a point where we decided the organizations and, and we're currently in the process of reaching out to them and, and sending financial support just because we know the work is happening now. And so there's also that sense of urgency that This work is ongoing and it's been ongoing and it will continue. And so that's that is sort of the inspiration of the Racial Justice Fund and a little bit about what it is. But um, it really is the legacy of a lot of the work that was done two summers ago.
0: That's incredible. You know, that statement like put your money where your mouth is couldn't be truer in this (laughs) in this instance. And I know that, you know, there are a lot of companies out there and I've even seen it for myself, where they put out this these racial justice statements, but then they didn't really have any next steps to kind of foster that change that they were stating in those statements. So I think it's just an incredible path, and incredible initiative that y'all have created at change.org. And it really sets y'all apart from other companies. You're very much becoming a model that I think other companies might want to look at and take a few cues from. And I think it's amazing, and I just want to say thank you all so much for, for the work that y'all do in that as well. Because as a a black led organization myself <laughs> with Beauty for Freedom, we face so many difficulties, and just to see that there's a platform that's out there that can support black led organizations and organizers. It's a beautiful thing.
2: And, and one thing i like to just add to that when I, when I talk about the racial justice fund is that a $6 million commitment to Black-led organizations and Black-led organizers doesn't absolve us from the work at Change.org. You know, no amount of money absolves us from the work. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about at this organization is that there is full recognition that the racial justice fund is just the first step. That there's still so much work to do to make sure that we're building relationships, to make, to make sure that we become the best platform that we can be, and to make sure that racial justice is really embedded into everything that we do here. And so there's a real recognition that this $6 million, you know, even though it's great and we're excited about it and, and it's going to um, do a whole lot of good, hopefully, we recognize that it's just the first step.
0: That was something that I was going to ask as well as like the vision for the future you know, of the Racial Justice Fund. But I love that it's I think life is a journey. And so sometimes you don't have all the answers and you don't know necessarily what the solid next steps are. But the fact that you're open to learning and learning from the journey that you're on right now to make it better for the future, I think is, it's really admirable. Y'all both have actually worked in the world of government policy. And Christina, as a policy intern at the Ridge Policy Group and Rashawn as a policy analyst for the Council of State Government Justice Center, why were you both inspired to help shape government policy and what impact did these positions that you held have on your lives?
1: Any opportunity I can get, I will always plug the Youth in Government program. I got involved with it when I was a sophomore in high school, and my only regret is wishing I got involved when I was a freshman. It really just like put me with a group of people that all wanted to make some type of a change, but also were... <laughs> just really earnest in everything that we wanted to do with government. So basically through the youth and government program we got to find out the issues that we were really passionate about and then write bills that were based on those issues. And then you got to see like how they worked their way through a Congress of sorts. And I always like to think of it as a schoolhouse rock like type of thing. Uh, You just like got to play the part of the legislators. And we went to the Capitol and we got to debate the bills and then we got to go to a national program of that sort. And just like really learning like the confidence in public speaking and also just the confidence in standing on your own two feet in the issues, but also knowing that you need a lot of humility. In order to learn, especially as a really eager and precocious high schooler who like thought they knew everything, there's a lot, a lot more gray area than what you think on issues. And I know like that just opened my mind up to a lot of it, but also just learning like the issues that you can stand firmly on that, you know, that there's gray area, but you're still really firmly on one side. That program really just propelled me into the work that I did. And like everything since then will always reflect back on that program.
2: Yeah, I think for me, it's always been about like impact, right? Like how do we, how can we make a difference in people's lives? And so I think for the most part, I spent a lot of time experimenting with how to do that. So I ran for public office myself, and and I got that experience. And I was a community organizer for a bit. I got that experience. And then I worked at a policy think tank, you know, Council of State Government's Justice Center that did that. And I think the thing that I realized is that there are so many different ways to make change, right? Like it doesn't just happen in government. Like you don't have to be an elected official to make change. Or you you don't just have to be an organizer to make change. Or you don't just need to be a big, you know, philanthropic funder to make change, that there are so many different ways to make change. And even, you know, taking it a step further, that in order to make change, in a lot of ways, you need all of those things kind of working together at once, right? Like you need folks who are in elected office, you need folks who are in sort of the technology space, like change.org, that have tools that can be useful. You need folks who are on the ground, who are organizers. And so I think the more I move in my own career and the more I I do this work, the more I realize that it's not about one specific place or one specific kind of job. It's about how how are you working with people across the spectrum, that change comes from every corner of civil society. Um, And so I think that has been the big learning lesson for me, that uh, change happens everywhere. Um, And it requires a lot of different arms and dimensions and facets. So
0: I'm glad that you mentioned that because it kind of leads into my next question, which is your advice to young folks that want to make impact and positive change within the world of social justice. What were the things that you learned along the way that made it easier for you to make those decisions and also that taught you how to be a change maker in the world of social justice and how young people can get involved no matter how young they are, even a you know nine or a 10 year old, how, how would you start? I mean,
1: I'm personally going to sound like a broken record when I say like find the people in your network that you can surround yourself with to just like be passionate together find those clubs like youth in government. I mean, for some people, it's mock trial. For some people, it's Model UN. And for some people, it's not doing any of those clubs. And it's just like getting out onto the street and like actually going straight into advocacy and straight into the protests and the rallies. Honestly, it's like encouraging parents out there too to like help their younger, maybe nine and 10 year olds find that way that they can have their voice too. So it's really everyone really everyone working together. And if that's the nine and 10-year-olds telling their parents that they need help doing something like that too, I mean, more power to them. Yeah, just find that network, whatever it may be.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, Christina, you said the, the key word, which is passion. I remember I, I did a program in high school and I, I remember they read us this Howard Thurman quote that always stuck with me that says, don't ask what the world needs ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That always resonated with me because it really is the truth. What the world doesn't need is people doing things because they feel like this is what I have to do or this is what I should do or this is what this person or this thing says I need to do. I think what the world actually needs is people who are passionate about doing whatever it is they do every day. And I do think that that's sort of what is missing a lot of times, you know, in our society is a passion of purpose. And so my advice to young people is find what you're passionate about. And you would be surprised, like, how many people's passion at the end of the day ends up being related to service in some way, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're, you know, in activism, whether you're an elected official, whether you're in business, those things always find connections to service. And so you know, my advice to young people is don't try to carbon copy something you read out of a book or something that someone told you somewhere. Find out what really makes you passionate and makes you want to get up every day and just run in the direction of that.
0: I love that. I love that. Find that thing and run in that direction. I love it. (laughs) The last couple of years have been, for me personally, some of the most difficult times in my life. And I think everyone else is kind of going through uh, similar situations. It it kind of makes me all at once feel closer to everyone and also more distant at the same time. I mean, that's part of the reason why we started this podcast is because we wanted to break the distance between us. How have y'all dealt with just life personally in the last couple of years since the world is in such a tumultuous place. And it seems like everything is upside down uh, at the moment.
1: For me, it was really interesting because on February 28th of uh, last year, I was transferred to San Francisco with um, change to work in a different part of the company. Um, so I packed up all my stuff in two suitcases from New York sublet in my apartment and arrived in San Francisco, February 28th. I worked out of the office for five days. And on that Friday, we learned that our office would be closing for two weeks at that time. I was living with completely random roommates and they didn't really have a space for an office in my house. So they sent me home with a folding chair and a folding table and bid me adieu for the next two weeks. And those two weeks have turned into uh, almost a year and a half now. Luckily, I have a much better setup, but it was definitely a jolt to what I thought was going to be my life, um, what I thought was going to be a plan for my next year and a half. I thought I was only supposed to be here for four months and then going back um, to my life in New York. And It's just funny how it can all turn upside down, but honestly, I just can't like think of anything else rather than like how lucky I have been to have a job throughout the pandemic to have a job where I can work from home to have my health. I mean, I see my parents go into their jobs every day. My mom works in a convenience store. My dad um, is a pharmacist giving COVID shots. And that's not a job that is very safe, especially before the vaccines came out. So I don't know I just kept reminding myself like how lucky I was to have a job, how lucky I was that they were healthy and still had their jobs too. I turned a lot of that like worry into gratitude in any way that I could. I um had a gratitude journal before going into the pandemic, but I really tried to stick through it a lot more whenever I could. I mean, there's some days that you just like can't help but feel hopeless. There's some days that you wake up and your whole state is on fire and abortion rights have been cut the same time. Like there's some days that you just wake up and like, there's not that hope. But then I go back to the fact that I work at a job where you get to like talk to other people who are feeling that way too, and help them find the hope in the hopelessness. And that's what I've been thinking about for the last two years, really just like finding the hope where you can, finding the gratitude where you can and in those moments where neither can be found, knowing that maybe you can find it the next day
2: for me the 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 entire pandemic these last eighteen months it it's been a perspective shift, if i'm being honest in some ways, it's been such a terrible time, but I think in other ways it's also been just a huge time of growth i think before the pandemic i had uh this life you know i was i was working in Brooklyn and all the happy hours and all these things that were happening and events. And it was a great time. And then I think the pandemic came and it took all of those things away, right? Like I think in a lot of ways, it stripped life down to its bare essentials. Um, and it taught me at least what's really important, right? Like what what do we actually need? Um, and for me, it's community, right? Whether that's like, my family or my close friends. When I when I think about the pandemic, like that's what got me through is family and friends. Like not a happy hour, not commuting, not a you know, a pair of sneakers or this or that. It was it was it was people, you know, the people who are closest to me. And I, and I'm so grateful for them. And so I think the past year and a half is just as Christina said, just giving me a new sense of gratitude to not the things in my life, but the people in my life. And and that's what's so important. And and in a lot of ways, I think I'm hoping that that's a permanent perspective shift for me.
0: I couldn't agree more. It's like always, always and always at the forefront of everything that we do with our organization. It's always gratitude because to be able to serve, I'm grateful for that. To be able to have that calling to, to do something in the world to make it a freer place I'm grateful for that. You know, even in these moments, I've gotten closer to my family during this pandemic because they were all that I really thought about. My parents are 80, you know, and my dad hasn't been in the best of health. And I've never been so afraid thinking about what could happen if, we're, if we weren't all safe during this time. And, and so I'm just so grateful for every little thing. I just feel so blessed. I feel blessed that we've actually had the opportunity to go through this because I feel like I've learned so much about myself, about my community, about you know the needs that we have even my friends sort of taking care of mental health as like a priority which I never really thought about that before. So I just had one last question for you both and I would love for y'all to speak to the racialjusticechange.org campaigns petitions that really helped shape the narrative of the online racial justice and the power that we all have as people, namely the Breonna Taylor petition, the George Floyd Floyd petitions uh, that received an outpouring of support globally. You know, what tangible change do you both feel these petitions have had in our country and also throughout the world?
2: Wow, that's that's a... That's a heavy question. I think the, the truth is, right, like there have been, there, there are so many cases like that, you know, that have spanned since the origins of this country, if we're being honest. And I think what happened, you know, two summers ago just was, a, was another iteration of that. Like, you know, two people who lost their lives when they didn't need to. But I think what came from that was, I just think this incredible moment, unlike anything we've seen in quite some time of people just getting to a point and saying enough is enough, you know, we've, we've certainly seen some some real tangible changes, I think, happen, right? Like, I think, you know, there are mayors and governors, you know, and and federal officials around the country who are pushing or have passed legislation that pushes racial justice forward. But I think even more than that, I think you see a new consciousness in people, right? Like you see just dialogue happening everywhere about racial justice, which is something that I don't think I've seen in my lifetime. Just people being very explicit and being transparent and being open about the impact of racial justice on our everyday lives, to our institutions. And I think that is, in a lot of ways, part of the legacy that came from those moments, which is just sort of a reawakening around the country of people having these hard conversations and folks saying, enough is enough. We're not going to sweep this under the rug. We're not going to have, you know, a month of loud conversation and pundits and then be done with it, but that we're really going to engage with this and we're really going to confront the awkwardness of this and the the tragedy of this and the scars of this. And so I think that is one of the things that has come out of that time that I think that I'm just happy is continuing, which is just those conversations are happening today, still 18 months later, and no signs of stopping.
1: I echo everything that Sean has said. Um, and I think a lot of what he said earlier in the podcast, too, just speaks to the tangible impact that came from those campaigns. I actually just got to look up on my phone, the signature counts that they won at. And it's a collective of 30 million signatures, which is just like, it's insane. Like he said, they're the largest two petitions that were ever on our website. And I think for me, as a campaigner who's looking for petitions every day to like work on and help, I think the most tangible impact that came from those petitions is the effect that it's had on other people to just come up and say like, I want a change too. Whether it's high schoolers asking for their mascot to be changed because it's racist origins are there, whether it's a local community coming to take a Confederate statue down, whether it's the clemency petitions that we've seen when at the last second, or it's the Juneteenth petition with Opal Lee who got to go in front of Congress to sign that bill. I mean, It's all of those tangible effects that have come and that are still coming in such rapid rates now. And just giving people the light to stand on and say, like, there are people who will stand behind you if you start this effort. So that's what really speaks to me from the tangible impacts of those campaigns.
0: Yeah, I think it's such a beautiful thing to see the power of one person growing exponentially to millions. Because That's another great thing about change is change.org is that people can, from their homes, Mm -hmm. you know, become these activists that are seen and heard and appreciated. I just wish y'all all all the success with with your work at change.org. And I'm just so grateful and inspired by what y'all are doing and also with the Racial Justice Fund as well. And I just want to thank you both for joining us today. Uh, please support their initiatives at change.org. We've included all of their links and social media in the episode notes for this podcast. Also, please subscribe to Breaking Distance. We are on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Simplecast, and on our website, beautyforfreedom.org. Follow us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. We're at beautyforfreedom, all spelled out, and Twitter, we're at beauty4freedom. the Number four, freedom. Stay tuned for upcoming Breaking Distance episodes. We look forward to bringing you more thought-provoking, sincere, and transparent programming soon. Breaking Distance. Connecting Communities. Igniting Change.